Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Today, we have Adam Vicarell, the founder and creative director of Vicarell Studios. Welcome, Adam. We're so excited to have you on. Guys, thank you so much for having me. Stoked to be here and chat today. Yeah. First thing in the morning. This is an early morning conversation we're about to have. So uh, <laughs> I know in the podcast world, that doesn't matter. But here, here it's relevant. So Adam, you've taken a pretty unique path in your career that I think is deeply rooted in your philosophy of work and life. Uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about that philosophy? Yeah, I think um, there's so much that is kind of packed into a response to this question. But I think early on in my career, I I worked for about two years as a designer and then spent some time traveling. And during those travels, uh, it's when I started hand lettering, which is now the foundation of Vicarell Studios work. And so I think the to fall in love with hand lettering while traveling abroad doing something that I'm passionate about and doing it just for fun. Um, it like infused that work life. Balance is not the right word, maybe blend while I was traveling. And when I came back to the States, I was in Southeast Asia for a while. When I came back to the States, it's very cliche, but it's like travel changes you. Uh, everybody says it for a reason. And I truly felt uh, profoundly impacted by my experiences abroad and my experience traveling and learning this practice of hand lettering, that when I came back to the States, the thought of just taking on another arbitrary design position that wasn't immensely fulfilling, the idea of just accepting my fate of like, okay, nine to five, I'm gonna be indifferent at work every single day. Uh, it's th that like literally made me feel nauseous just because I had just spent 11 months doing what I wanted to do and uh, it was immensely fulfilling. So I wanted to figure out a way to kind of infuse that into whatever career path I took. Um, and it took about six or seven years for it to kind of manifest, for it actually to fall into place. Um, but I, I really do think the catalyst for that blend of life and work was that trip uh, I initially took abroad. I really appreciate that term, the blend uh, rather than the balance, because it accommodates for a life that the creativity doesn't stop at the beginning and end of a work day, it's sort of this all, you know, all consuming creative output that happens sometimes when you expect it and sometimes when you don't expect it. Can yeah. you, just for people who don't maybe have a concept of hand lettering, do you mind describing what that is and maybe uh, this journey that you took from being a designer to being introduced to the concept and now to how it uh, incorporates into your studios? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so hand lettering is just for people to visualize. It's very similar to calligraphy, which is, I think, something many people understand. So it's illustrating letter forms. Uh, the main difference is calligraphy is essentially defined as one pass of a brush or pen. So it is like handwriting in that sense, whereas hand lettering is constructing each individual letter form with a series of, of strokes and shapes. So uh, I don't know if more meticulous is the right description, but it's you're just the process in which you create the letter forms is different. Um, I think hand lettering has more opportunity to uh, there's more styles that you can explore due to the nature of how the letter forms are created. So it's almost like if an illustrator and a calligrapher were combined, they would be a hand letterer. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if that was a good description. No, that was perfect. Um, my experience with this, uh, in the lead up to this conversation, I looked at uh, a few of your pieces and you do a lot of large format murals on sort of very big public facing walls. And you did a pretty iconic one in the River North, River North Arts District of Denver, where it, it's sort of this whimsical, uh, luscious painting of... I believe it's flowers surrounding the words talk Denver to me. Uh, and my experience was that was I had some friends that were getting married and they asked me to take some photos for their engagement, you know, email. I don't know what they were sending. Um, but we ended up sending a picture in front of that mural. So I feel like you've contributed to my life uh, pretty perfectly. That was a, it's a great mural. That, that particular piece was, it was a collaboration with a, another local artist, Ashley June. And, um, 
Yeah, I, I definitely have found over the years that collaboration in any sense, whether it's with a business partner, um, even like a, you know, a marketing director and a designer working together, or in this instance, two artists coming together, it truly is the, uh, the one plus one equals three equation where you start to, through conversation, you start to like uncover these insights that neither of you individually had. So this collaboration, we went back and forth on concepts, ideas, styles, color palettes, so many different things, all of these things, you know, ideas that I never would have come up with. I can assure you that myself, somebody who grew up skateboarding, snowboarding, rock climbing as a male, like talk Denver to me. It's like this like <laughs> sassy phrase, which I, I mean, I absolutely love it, but I would not have come up with it myself. And um, the, the, the idea behind it was Ashley basically suggested, she's like, let's create something that is highly photographable, something that people, you know, Instagrammable as many people would refer to it. Uh, and again, we just wanted to create something that people were stoked to take photos in front of. And ultimately a combination of the phrase itself, which we, we actually got from, uh, the name is escaping me right now, but it's a, a local business that sponsored the mural. They actually paid for our supplies. So a combination of that phrase and these bright poppy uh, magenta and pink flowers, it's like, you can't not see it when you're in that, that parking lot over by Denver Central Market. Um, so uh, from a process standpoint, it was really cool to just bounce these ideas back and forth you know, she specializes in floral painting. I specialize in hand lettering. So to figure out like, okay, how are we going to work together on this? And of course it was during COVID. So we did it all digitally from afar. So there's a lot of variables, but again, one plus one equals three. We're super stoked with how it turned out. <laughs> yeah. And that parking lot actually became such a sort of a lively hub in that wonderful area because of COVID. And I think they set up a lot of outdoor seating. So I feel like it really benefited the placement of that mural. Hey, it's a great mural. Great collaboration. Uh, can you talk about- yeah, Right across from Shepherd Ferry. Oh yeah. Yes. It, that's the, yeah, that's, yes. I mean, heard of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't like to brag, but we're basically brothers now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Shepherd Ferry and a mural. Yeah. Great placement. Uh, can you talk about yeah. Vicarol Studios and uh, maybe your- philosophy behind the, the, the smaller niche design studio rather than, you know, I would say a lot of design studios have a philosophy, but a lot of design studios just are looking to, you know, take on as much work as possible. And it feels like you have a much more uh, direct and maybe trying to find the perfect fit for your output. Is that, is that true to say? Yeah, I think um, the, so my studios, the our focus is on the the hybridity of traditional fine art and more strategic design. So I think prior to going into that a little bit more, to distinguish the differences between the two, art, I would so these are not I'm not reading definitions here, but I would say that <laughs> art is maybe maybe defined as um, you know an artist has ideas, opinions, perspectives on culture, society, and life. Art is uh, like the vessel that is their response to these things or their perceptions of these things. So it's purely subjective. Um, it is, uh, yeah, this visceral interpretation of the artist's own thoughts and feelings. Design, on the other hand, Lewis Sullivan is a famous architect, said form follows function in reference to design. So everything that is created serves a purpose. So any aesthetic decision that you make in graphic design, for example, it is there to solve a problem. You know, I selected this typeface or this type style because it's more approachable than that one. I selected green instead of pink because of this and that. So, uh, so art and design, there is certainly a lot of overlap, but they are two very different things. Um, and so I think in what the, the work that Vicarell Studios does you know, it is my goal to combine the two. And that is uh, what I truly love about our work is we have the opportunity to leverage the aesthetic portion more so than a traditional designer would just because we embrace uh, that philosophy in our work. We go into our work saying, yes, this is maybe an arbitrary line or squiggle or color choice, but it's because we are intentionally leaning into that artful component. And 
more than anything, what I love about that is it enables us, A, to be more experimental in our work, but B, I'm enamored by the idea of creating things in a time. So like right now, the world is so technology forward, especially with COVID, we are very disconnected from one another. And to bring art into design really humanizes whatever it is that is being designed and fosters human connection. And I think the opportunity to kind of play in that space where it is the coalescence of art and design is exciting. And, um, you know, we're certainly not the only people doing it. I, I, I haven't found a lot of people on the internet, at least, that are positioning and articulating their work in this way. You know, many people are doing this. They're just not like owning it intentionally. So it's exciting to, from my perspective, from what I've seen, to kind of be, call it on the forefront of this idea of merging the two and like screaming it out to the world. So, yeah, I love that. Do you find that it creates a more intimate connection with clients when you articulate it in this way? Because I feel like right away, it almost, uh, it fosters to me a spirit of collaboration rather than a spirit of, I have an idea, you design it. Um, do you feel that that's true? Yeah, I think it, it's definitely case by case. The The reality is that the work that we do is really, while we are niched down, the application of our work is, uh, it's fairly diverse. So, you know, the, the bulk of our work is visual identity design, packaging design, and murals with a foundation in hand lettering and illustration. And so one day I might be painting this huge wall outside. Another day I might be on the computer drawing a logo, for example. So very disparate uh, or different things. Uh, however, that, uh, what would the word be? The, the thing that connects all of it is, is, is that the coalescence of that art and design. And I do find that when working with a client, whether it is a wall, uh, wall painting, a big mural or some packaging project, to have that conversation around infusing art into the work um, and approaching it with a more artful intent, it definitely, everybody understands what art is. They understand it's like, oh, it's beautiful. It's something that I'm drawn to. So I, I think people are drawn to that idea but honestly, one of the trickiest things is in many ways, you could argue that design is objective because it's there to solve problems. There's, there's metrics that are, you know, that you're going against to say like, is this design working? Are we connecting with the consumer? Are we selling more products because of this design? Whereas art is holistically subjective. So when you bring art and subjectivity into design, there's, it's harder to push back on a client when they're saying, well, we just don't like this. But th when that subjectivity comes in, it starts to, to muddy the waters a bit. So like everything, I'm constantly learning not only how to articulate this whole thing, but also how to, you know, present, take feedback and I don't, you know, just, it's all a learning process. Yeah. I, I very much relate to that. Um, and I find as a creative that it's often hard to get to a place where you're confident in uh, expressing your ideals and how you approach a project uh, because there's often this transformation that happens from when you're young and you're uh, and you just want to get the work and you want to have you know people you know invest in your skill set um, to a point where you're like confident uh, if that makes sense I'm trying to maybe illustrate the idea of imposter syndrome then turning into maybe mm. more of a you know, more of a, a confident business person as it relates to your creativity. Um, can you talk about your journey? And I think in the, in the conversation leading up to this, you mentioned, you know, jumping before you're ready and maybe taking on a little bit more than what you maybe think you can take on in order to, you know, jumpstart that education and that, uh, that you know, that... Uh, it's early. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to come up with, I'm just floundering. I'm just like, nosedive. There's some, no, there's, there's some good stuff in here. There's, there's yeah. good stuff in here. I'll cut it together. Chop it up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically just, can you talk about your experience transitioning from a, maybe a young, less uh, 
mature, or it's not even that word. I'm having a hard time. Established? <laughs> yeah. Established. Maybe just a yeah. less established creative. <laughs> I'm not mature. To now being someone, uh, you run your design studio, you have employees, uh, you have to approach clients with a level of competence and a level of confidence. Um, can you talk about your process in that? Because I think that's something that a lot of creatives who maybe haven't undergone that transformation are constantly looking for ways to help them gain their own confidence? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, as we previously referenced, the idea of jumping before you're ready. And I think you, you've you heard uh, lots of people or businesses reference this in various ways. I think Facebook once said that their, their like manifesto or tagline was move fast and break shit. And like, that was literally how they developed their software. And it was the idea of let's just go, let's go fast, let's go hard, and we will course correct and fix along the way. And coincidentally, my dad literally just sent me something the other day. Um, it was a talk, uh, a quick little one minute talk by a guy named John Maxwell, who quoted author Brendan Bruchard. And Bruchard said, doubt increases with inaction. Clarity reveals itself in momentum. So the idea of jumping before you're ready in that you just need to do stuff and you'll figure it out along the way. The longer you hesitate, the longer you wait, the longer you're just trying to make it perfect and trying to figure it all out before you actually do it, the longer you do all of these things, the more doubtful, the more self-conscious and the more imposter syndrome you will have. So fortunately, I that trip abroad that I took, uh, when I look at it, uh, like a hindsight perspective, I see that because I had no plans on this trip, I was in Southeast Asia for about five months. You know, I didn't know where I was getting lunch tomorrow, let alone what country I'd be in later that day. So be being comfortable uh, with that, I, I developed a high tolerance for ambiguity or like a high risk tolerance. And so the way that translated when I came back to, uh, came back to the States, started my business, is it basically made me feel, it made me feel confident being unconfident, or it made me feel comfortable being uncomfortable, which enables me to make business decisions or uh, approach things or try things in a way that I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm definitely jumping before I'm ready. But the ultimate result of that is I'm able to try more, learn more and see more. And through that process, it's like, Yes, I do make more mistakes than others. Yes, I do make more bad choices than others. But through uh, um, another, a, literally a quote that I just read today, it's uh, quality is a probabilistic um, quotient of quantity. So it's like the more, the more you do something, the better it becomes. Um, so I just have embraced that mindset. And ultimately, just through doing, 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 continuing to jump before I'm ready, continuing to say yes to things I don't feel prepared for, um, I've just found myself leaping down the, the path, call it, uh, towards that finish line far faster than many people, you know, maybe who are trying to be perfectionists. Um, and I think it's just generally kind of a last thought on that. Uh, I think perfectionism is something that is ingrained in us as designers or as creatives in general, because our identity is so like interwoven with yeah. our creative, uh, our creative work. And so if someone's like, that's not good, you're like, ah, I know. It's what? My mom said it was yeah. good. Yeah. So it's like, it feels like a hit on us. And so I think the perfectionism is, is rooted in that. It's like, we need things to be perfect before they go out because we are directly tied to these things. So I, I think the idea of jumping before you're ready, feeling prepared to get out there and be vulnerable is kind of a byproduct of being able to disconnect yourself from your work. And that is a really difficult thing to do. Uh, in many ways, I've been forced into that position of disconnecting from my work, whether that be through hiring contractors or through, hey, this is the timeline, whether you like it or not, make it happen. Like in some ways, you're just forced into that sometimes. And that ultimately, for me, is what has enabled me to kind of get past that imposter syndrome and feel more confident just taking those risks, which leads to more reward. Yeah, I love that. I think. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. I really relate to how you talked about the reps and the 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 more you do, the more clear you are about how to do them, and the more confidence it builds. I think that 
it's something that I've always given to any young uh, person in a creative field is just accept that you're going to look back on however many years ago or however many years and you're going to be like, that's where I was. And you're going to see your work now and it's going to be a lot better. But you can't get to that place now without those reps that maybe you look back on with a little bit of like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> maybe that was my yeah, finest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, like, I mean, I think a, a chef is the perfect example. Think of a, the chef who makes 50 steaks and then has a big dinner and then makes steaks for everybody there. It's like perfectly cooked. It's perfectly seasoned. You're like, oh, is that Parmesan crusted? That's amazing. <laughs> Whereas the, the other guy, the, the other chef who the competition, he's like obsessing over making that perfect Parmesan crusted steak the first time. And so he does maybe one tester at home and then has the big party and is like panicking. Cause he's like, Oh shit. Like the steak number two. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. And so it's just that experimentation, that process is just, keep cranking stuff out and eventually you get to the good stuff and you just get over the fears. You don't think about it anymore. The, the process of constantly failing, of constantly executing, of constantly learning, all of that becomes what you expect and what you're prepared for. So when you do fail on the, uh, fail on a project or a delivery or whatever, you're used to that. So instead of panicking and shriveling up and, you know, melting down in front of your client or whatever it is, you're composed, you know how to respond uh, and you're able to talk through it and work through it. And yeah. next thing you know, you're eating great steak. Yeah. That's yeah. all that we all want. It's just a great steak. Yes. Um, That's all we want. Can you talk about this idea of hybrid work and, and the way that your life maybe isn't entirely focused on design? You're also passionate about fitness and passionate about, uh, there, there's a number of things that you're passionate about that I think all kind of contribute to, maybe a broader perspective on living a healthy, fulfilled life. Yeah. Yeah. The, the concept of hybridity, particularly in the workplace or in careers, I've become absolutely enamored with over the last couple of years. And it's a concept that I learned from, uh, she's an author and a TEDx speaker. Her name's Sarah Beth Burke. And she wrote a, um, she wrote a book, uh, that's called more than your title. And it's basically around the idea that pe people used to always look at, at work or a career as one of two things. You were either fully niched down and you're a specialist or you were a jack of all trades, a generalist. And it was a this or that. And it was funny because over the years, I've always felt, uh, I felt unease with leaning into one or the other. Because in many ways, and currently still, I feel that I am the coalescence, the hybridity, and amalgamation of the two. I both niche down and I generalize. And uh, so I think Sarah Beth Burke, this author, I met with her when I was re, uh, redesigning the Vicarell Studios website about two and a half years ago. And it was, we were connected through a mutual friend. We just sat down and got coffee. And it was like, she was just articulating and putting words to all of these things that I've thought for all of these years. And she's like, oh yeah, I have a book by the way. And it was just so profound because I was like, oh my gosh, like, thank you so much. All these words that I didn't know how to say. And so, so that's kind of my, the foundation of, uh, so what I have felt is that through embracing like all of the unique components or attributes that make you, you make me, me, um, make an individual themselves are what enable us to bring more to the workplace, to our career. And so I personally uh, really identified as a designer for many years. I was like, that was all I wanted to be known for. And it was honestly, it was a byproduct of graduating college and being like, huh, like now what my life has been set up for me. You know, you go to school, you go to high school, you go to college. And now it's up to you, Adam. And so I was like, all right, designer, all in. And as I kind of uh, continued through my profession, I realized that like I am interested in so much more than design. And so the concept of hybridity is for me, the way I embrace it is I'm a very extroverted person. I love fitness. I love moving my body, getting outside, connecting with people, learning, teaching, speaking, all of these things. And so I try to infuse all of this 
into my career so that I can approach a project or come to a client with more than just, hi, I'm Adam Vicarell and I can draw logos. It's like, <laughs> no, I can, like, if you want me to teach a workshop to the executive team at NBC, I got you. If you want me to be on reality TV and teach the real housewives how to paint? I got that too. Yeah, it's he, like, he actually all, did that. That's, but, that's like a real He thing. did that, yes. <laughs> Sadly, but truly, not not actually not sad at all. Hey, real housewives um, need workshops too. They do. <laughs> That's a bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> but I think all of these things, uh, embracing all of these different attributes of yourself, enable you to approach a, uh, a a career or a job with so much more. You can bring more to the table. Um, you bring more perspective. You bring unique perspective. And I think embracing that instead of siloing ourselves enable us all to be uh, be not only more proficient at whatever it is that we're doing, but also be more in love with the work that we're doing because it feels like we're pouring more of our holistic self into our work as opposed to this one tiny little section. Um, and uh, I I think you know work is a a little piece in the wheel of life, and uh, to to not embrace that is a shame. You know, it's life is, is short or long, depending on how you look at it. And, uh, the amount of time we spend working is substantial. And if you're not really, really in love with what it is that you're doing, then you're kind of just wasting, voluntarily wasting your own life. So, so hybrid professionalism, people lean into it. I love that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And even just cultivating a healthy relationship, a sane relationship with work is, um, to go back to something you said earlier in the conversation, just creating a, a more healthy human connection with what you do. And I think it's even possible outside of design or outside of these, I think, more uh, glamorous profession. You know, like I would say designer is something that, you know, you'd swipe right on that. You know, <laughs> it's like a very, you know, it's like it's got some glam, but there's tons of people in professions that they find meaning in that maybe are less glamorous by name. But I think it's it also just serves serves anyone to cultivate a healthy relationship with what you do for a profession. Because I agree with you, it is such a it's an integral part of life, and so it deserves our uh, care and and in a healthy way. Something that I really love Agreed. in talking to you is how receptive you are to uh, wisdom and influence and people that have maybe laid down their perspective and philosophy. It feels like you're really something that has those lightning rods up. That's like, I can learn and I can become better and I can become uh, a more, you know, uh, nuanced and rich version of myself. Uh, I really appreciate that. Cause I do feel like in the creative worlds, there's a lot of people that are very protective and are very like, I do things my way and it's the best. I've been doing it that way since I was a, t- a tiny baby. <laughs> Uh, and then there's people that are open and that are still learning and still very, uh, you know, open to accept criticism, not only criticism, but maybe even a perspective that they, that opens a new pathway to creativity or a new pathway to, uh, enjoyment. So I really appreciate yeah, I appreciate you saying that, Nick. Yeah, no, it, it really comes across that you're, you're not only creating a, a wonderful kind of self-made world for yourself to occupy, but you're also very much uh, a connective spirit that's like taking things in and building community and, and, and growing as you go. So I appreciate it. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to be learned out there. And uh, I think it's, it's naive for any of us to think that we've got it all figured out or that we know it best when in reality, there are millions of people who are doing the same thing or similar things, or the very least, also living life alongside of us. So to not absorb that, to be a, a sponge and soak that in, uh, I think is, yeah, it's closed-minded. So yeah. So yeah. Sponginess. Yeah. I like let's sponginess. Get spongy. Let's be people. sponges. Let's get spongy. Get spongy. <laughs> Another bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah, get yeah, spongy. Yeah. All right, Adam. So next segment is Dan with the brand. And I'm going to present a couple different stories. And with each one, you get to pick if you stand with brand or if you want to take a seat. So up first is probably one of our, 
Do you have a dog, Adam, actually? Let me ask this quick. I do not I have a cat. You have, yeah, you have a cat just like me. Okay. Well, then, Nick, your furry BFFs probably have this. Actually, I know they do. But Bard Fox, who was just on, actually, uh, they're paving the way with a little feel-good ad. And it's a take on the classic Island of Misfit Toys from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I hope we've all seen that. Um, but in this 60 second ad, they've got a few different dogs that are, you know, quote unquote misfits. They've got Ernie, who's a 14 year old, um, 74 in human years. So pretty up there, uh, born deaf and recently lost an eye to cancer. So they've got all these different dogs, different backgrounds. And then there's an awesome voiceover with this beautiful line that I really enjoyed. And it says, no matter what you look like, where you're from or what color your nose is, you're perfect just the way you are. So it's almost a words of affirmation for our furry friends. So Adam, do you stand with this brand and their take on this commercial or do you take a seat? I stand with this brand. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I hope they have guinea pigs though. You know, I feel like guinea pigs are like the, uh, as they refer to the redheaded stepchild. And (laughs) we might need to cut that out of the podcast. But, uh, uh, the, uh, they're kind of getting the swept under the rug and uh, honestly, guinea pigs are, are really weird pets, but yeah, I, I feel like they would support a guinea pig too. Yeah. And so for that reason, I would I definitely call guinea brand. pigs a misfit. I pet. love that. Like yeah. if, you, if you went they're, over to your I, buddy's I house and you were like, oh, that's, that's Charles, <laughs> honestly, my, gross. my guinea pig. Don't they make really interesting sounds? I feel like guinea, guinea pigs have yes, like a very like, unexpected yeah. sound from that little, you know, potato. Yeah. <laughs> they are they're like walking little potatoes yeah they're very squealy we, we had one when i was growing up and anytime you open the fridge and like the rustle of a like a lettuce bag it would know and it would just be going nuts in its cage and his name was bandit so i was like shut up bandit yes yeah give me that lettuce gosh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh that's awesome yeah i i'm that a big fan amazing. i i think i saw maybe just a static ad that they did. And it was uh, a really cute Frenchie in like a, like a doggy wheelie chair. Um, yeah. He had wheels. Yeah. And that was just a really, I think his back legs. Yeah. Just heartwarming. Obviously dogs are sort of these beautiful expressions of love. And I think that bark really, uh, they're taking on a, a really nice stance with, uh, you know, expanding they're being more inclusive to the doggy world they're not just doing that classic uh perfect golden they're like hey yep. all these little buddies True. are you know all these yeah. little buddies are working. all these little buddies <laughs> which i whether intentional or not i also do appreciate the connection to like societally and culturally you know over the past two years i think the world has been our eyes have been open to uh the imperative need to be more aware of diversity and oppressive behavior. And uh, I think in some ways where it's like, Hey, different, uh, different doesn't mean bad. You know, it's like, just cause this person, this thing, this animal is different. Like doesn't mean it's a bad pet. Yeah. You should still love it and care for it. And, uh, even though it can't see, can't hear, can't bark, can't eat, it's still so cute. I know. Yes. Yeah, I really It's basically a tapeworm. It's basically a tapeworm. Oh my gosh. I don't know that I would ever think that a tapeworm was was cute or lovable though. No. It's not. No. It's not. Um, what else do we got, Mackenzie? All right. So over the past few years and just in general, human connection is and always will be one of the best, you know, gifts, however you want to say it, each of us possess. And it's always been a huge piece of our everyday lives um, that I feel like we've sometimes taken for granted, especially the last few years as we've been maneuvering through this new normal, if you will. I know that sounds so cheesy, but it's true. Trying to figure out how to still connect and still have that human aspect. And through the last few years, uh, dating apps have grown as well. And I know kind of at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw those cute stories of people meeting up like in New York, I think there's a story of a man and woman who met um, because he saw her dancing on a rooftop or something. So fun little quirky things like that, that 
I appreciate. Um, and a lot of people are swiping to find their perfect person or their perfect match. And Tinder has actually taken this sentiment and their new feature is called Explore. So this allows hopeful, you know, future couples, partners to swipe based on interests and meeting people that are as unique as they are instead of just Mm. Uh, full disclosure, I've never used a dating app, so I don't really oh, you're know how it works. Other than... <laughs> you're like the person oh, that's like... Gonna always always got a hunk on her arm. Yeah, I don't actually have a television, so... <laughs> we just Give her a draw. carrier pigeon, try it. Yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. Um, I don't listen to music yeah. unless it's on vinyl, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm. that's me. <laughs> Okay, carry on. Oh, Sorry. This, <laughs> I was like, I was waiting for this. Um, so in their 32nd debut, they play on, you know, the knowledge that not everybody's your match, even though they might be, you know, if you were to write pros and cons list or something, and it's like they, they match up perfectly with you. They know that that's not always going to be the case, but you're going to be the perfect fit for somebody. Um, and in the ad, it at the end, it says you're not for everyone, which I think that's a very true and great sentiment to remember that you shouldn't change yourself just based on, you know, an app or just meeting someone for the first time, like your person is going to be out there. And it allows people to narrow down their dating pool even smaller, just because that can be very overwhelming. And we all know that dating can, in a way, be a battlefield and exhausting. So based on that, Adam, do you stand with this brand or do you take a seat? Uh, I I stand. Can I, can, can I elaborate? Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Bring it. I, I, so I have two thoughts. One, I think it's, it's funny, the idea of you're not for everyone, because I just picture a very disgruntled like person who's trying to date and be like, you're not for everyone. Like, you're not for everyone. <laughs> this is somebody getting very, very frustrated. Like their mantra. Yes. <laughs> I, I know I'm not for everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm alone. I'm meant for myself. Um, so uh, I appreciate just that was the immediate visual that I had. But what I do like is that it does set the tone for you kind of ex- explain there, Mac, that the it's it's like a, in a job interview, uh, it's almost like this desperation. You're like, I need this job. I need this job. In reality, the employer needs you. Like you yeah. ask the employer, like, you know, this, this is a uh, reciprocal uh, relationship. And I think yes. a rela- uh, dating is is that, not to make dating like business. But I think- I think dating who- is business. The business of love. <laughs> <laughs> business of love. Oh my God. Uh, I, I, I do think it starts to, because I have used those apps and uh, it's been wildly unsuccessful. And uh, it gets frustrating where you're like, God bless all that is holy. Please give me an opportunity with someone who is not- a goblin, just like, you know, in in terms of their personality, like I just, I was catfished in the the personality way where they're like, Hey, I'm this awesome person. And then I was just so duped. And I was like, no, you're a monster. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So so I, I think that that phrase is great to remember when I'm like, you're a monster, but like there's other monsters out there and I'm sure there's some Sigma alpha new who's going to love you sincerely. Yeah. But not me. And you don't love me and that's cool. Yeah. I you can some... probably cut all that out of the podcast. No, nah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have some thoughts on this one because I, I did meet my yeah. wife swiping. Um, and oh, I, think, I love that. Yeah. And I think both of us had a healthy relationship with it at that point. I had been... You know, like I think I swiped a long time ago and then I was in a relationship and then I started swiping again. So I had to like reacclimate to the new features and the new, you know, which one's the cool one for guys my age? You know, like, do I have to pay? <laughs> yeah. Because I think it's different. Farmers only. Yeah. Different. Yeah. That's, that's what I started with. No, we were talking. I was actually talking last night about the, the, the super elitist ones, the ones that are like, you have to make a certain amount of money and put that in your profile. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, what? This is what oh matters God. to some people. <laughs> like, we're going to capitalize on Unreal. this. You know, it's called like the shallow dating app. I don't even know. Um, but yeah, so I met my now wife swiping and 
I would say from our app profiles, we were very different. You know, she was, she's a lawyer who's a ballet dancer and grew up in the South. And I, you know, lived in New York and LA and was kind of an artist for a long time. And, uh, and then it was in opposite or it directly opposed to your experience. We met and I was like, oh, your personality is so great. Like everything about you is so warm and accepting and confident. And it was, it was sort of beautiful because I think going into it, both of us were like, I don't know about this one. You know, like maybe, I mean, it's worth a date, but I don't know. And then it was just a beautiful kind of, uh, it was great. We got married after that. <laughs> I, I love that. Right. That's like, yeah, a, that's amazing. That's a fairy tale. I met my current partner, Dave, but it was on Instagram. So it's not like a dating app. It was just like the DMs. Hey, that's kind of a dating app. The DMs. Yeah. yeah. It's kind mm-hmm. of. And it was just very like we met for coffee because I was like, well, if you end up being weird, I want to be in a public place and then I can <laughs> leave. I always think of Sex in the City. There's an episode where she like has one of them call her because it's so bad and say that there's an emergency and she leaves. And I was like, man, I feel like that's happened to all of us where we're like, you can oh, yeah. just leave. You don't need to tell me there's an emergency. Yeah. <laughs> so if, you just, if you just get up and walk away and don't even say bye, that's fine at this point. <laughs> yeah. So, I did see, I think it's Bumble that has a new feature where uh, I saw someone post about it and it's like a voice response. So oh, it's like, like tell your best. Notes. Yeah. So it's like, tell your best joke or what's the main oh. thing you bring to a barbecue? And, you know, someone's like, I'll bring a hot dog or, you know, <laughs> yeah, like someone, something weird. <laughs> and, uh, but I just love the ability for, it allows people to really leverage their, their wit or personality yeah. in that small little voice thing. And I think that's a really, from like a brand perspective, that's a really cool kind of one up above just having a, an image or a, a brief bio right. response. I like that. And you can hear someone's voice because sometimes. The voice doesn't Some people's act. Some people's voices. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, who yeah. are you? Um, yeah. No, I like that. And Nick, I also- your, your voice sounds literally like, <laughs> I was going to say, I was laughing when you started talking today because your voice smells like creamy melted premium chocolate. Yes. Like it's, I, I, I want you to read me books or yeah. like to tell, like, I don't know what I want, but we're talking. That's what I want. Yeah. I we're that. talking. That's that, is all, that might be my morning voice too. Cause as we said, this is a bright and early yeah. podcast. So I am just, you know, I'm yawning with the, the Tweety birds right now. Uh, I love this. I love what a rich conversation dating apps, what a cultural phenomenon they are. Uh, so just going right. back to this stand with a brand, are you saying this new feature uh, allows you to swipe on interests? Like if you're like rock climbing, I want to see the people in my dating preferences that also have rock climbing in their in their bio. Is that what it's doing? Yes. Yeah, so it's matching people. So like if I were to say, I've never done this. I like dogs and cats and I like to go for hikes. And you set your parameters. Yeah, you set your parameters. And this is like an extra. This feature is setting a parameter of interest as well. Or like, yeah, it's like an extra prank. Yes. I like that. Yeah. So that you can just be like, oh, you like to listen to podcasts. Cool. Let's walk around the park and listen to a podcast. <laughs> I don't know. That's a creative date. I've never <laughs> even I, thought of that. Actually, it's not sound like at a, the same time. I don't know. Look over each date. other and nod every now and then. <laughs> Great point. Listen to yeah. This American Life. Wow. This is poignant. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> this is good. Um, well, Adam, we have one more segment. I'm actually very excited to uh, for this final segment um, because it's deeply philosophical and you seem like a very philosophical guy. So these are just three open-ended questions uh, that we like to end it, every podcast with. Um, so the first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Uh, I think uh, hiring. So recently for the very first time, I hired a full-time employee. and that was a big deal because my never on my, in my vision, on my trajectory, did I anticipate actually starting to like grow the business past myself. I thought it would always be myself and contractors and people that I, if I didn't have work, I didn't have them. If I wanted to go travel, it didn't matter. Now I have this responsibility for the very first time. And so, uh, 
having payroll and having to support somebody's growth as a creative, all of these things are all new. And uh, it's a it's a big step. It's a big learning curve. Uh, and I'm, I'm incredibly excited about it. But like everything I've done for the past 10 years in my career, I kind of just leapt, you know, jumped before I was ready. I was like, all right, figure this out as we go. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. How is so it going? We'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's going great. It's, I had the fortunate opportunity that she freelanced with me for uh, about a year prior in varying capacities, maybe even a year and a half. So I very much suit, very much so knew what I was getting or, you know, moving into. Right. And um, I think the, it seemingly from my perspective, now that she is officially full time, she does seem to be more invested in a way that you're not when you're a, a contractor. So she is now an employee of the business and wants to see, you know, the, the growth of the business is directly, uh, it directly impacts her in positive ways. So she's incentivized to care more, to put in more, et cetera. And so um, it's been going great. Honestly, it's enabled me, any entrepreneur or honestly, any creative can probably relate to the idea that oftentimes you find yourself in these streaks of, working 12, 14 hour days, and you are just hanging on by a thread. And those days are so few and far between when you have the support of another. And that in itself, it's like the mental health component, the physical health component is huge. So I'm very excited about seeing how this will evolve and grow moving forward. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, the next question is, if you were invited to a show and tell right now, is there any item that you think you would bring? So I have a uh, a shotgun shell that I found in Slovenia when I was camping one day. And more than anything, I would bring, I, I'm not like a gun person, but I would bring this for the, uh, the story that was my friend and I backpacking in Europe and we were running out of light and we didn't know what to do. And we just found this open space somewhere in rural Slovenia. We're like, ah, this seems good. And we just camped and woke up in the morning and, you know, we're like kind of groggy, shuffling around, making coffee. And I'm like, what are all these little pieces of orange clay everywhere? <laughs> and, and then, and then I start to see a couple shotgun shells and I'm like, oh my gosh, these are clay pigeons that have been shot. There's shotgun shells everywhere. And then I realized that our tent was on the cement slab. That was a bunker. Like it's one of those like oh underground bunkers. So there's that thin little window where people like poke out of. So we're just sleeping on a shooting range in Slovenia. <laughs> We're like, uh, let's get out of here before we get shot and die in the middle of the wilderness in Slovenia. So, so that, and only because of the story, not because of the physical item, it, it's worthless. Yeah. That, I mean, that's amazing. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I jumped on a that, Slovenian bunker. No, <laughs> keep me on my toes. Um, the last question is if you had to give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, like if you were to meet yourself in high school or college or, or maybe even before doing this big travel that sort of influenced your perspective so heavily, uh, is there any specific piece of advice that you would give? Yeah, I think, which I continue to do now, but I wish I did it more earlier on is to, to be that the idea of being in the sponge. Uh, so to to pursue more information and knowledge um, from those who come before us, I think so many people, particularly in the creative industry, really like, yeah, they'll read a blog article here or listen to a podcast there, but it's a lot of just like figuring stuff out on their own. Everybody is in their own silo, kind of moving up alongside of each other, when in reality, there are thousands, millions of people who have done these things before us or at least are further down the path. And there's no reason that we shouldn't be, you know, making connections with these people, asking questions, you, you know, setting up our own mentorships, because I think not only does that get us further down the line faster, but it enables, you know, so it enables me to take an idea that a 50 or 60 year old designer has, it took him 30 years to get to, I can get there at 30, and then elaborate on it moving forward. So it's like the, um, that like uh, ubiquity of knowledge I think is important in that everybody can look at things from a different perspective. And 
I think that will help things advance better uh, more quickly, like in a positive way. So uh, the advice would basically just be ask more questions, never stop learning, and uh, don't be afraid to say like I don't or help. Yeah, I I, I can't help but think of the the oft used sport sports phrase: "Be a student of the game," like be someone willing to yes. learn of about the the history of your profession, the history of the successes, maybe even the history of the failures. And and I I love that. Be a sponge. Be be someone willing to uh, willing to be open, which I think is very. It's very challenging. I agree. So many people are just closed off all the time. Um, yeah. It's a fear of vulnerability, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think that's spot on. What's uh, What's next for you? Or what are there any projects that you're working on right now? Or or any, um, is there something in the horizon, in the horizon of Vicarel Studios that you're just excited to, to welcome in the future? Yeah, I think, so unfortunately, most of, the projects working on currently are under NDAs. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Top Pretty much secret. Just, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. You ever heard of uh, LeBron James? <laughs> no, I'm not doing anything with him. Um, uh, I think in the immediate future, I'm really excited to to now be growing the business with this employee, with like a partner in the business, and having someone to just spitball ideas, be like what do we want to do next month? Do we want to like, do we want to create more typefaces? Do we want to do more painting? Do we, you know, like, what do we want to push for? Right. So I'm really excited to just figure that out and grow in that direction. Uh, candidly, one of the things I'm most excited about right now is because of having this support for the first time ever, like right now we're doing this podcast. I'm not going to get into the, uh, the studio today until call it 11 a.m., and all morning in the past, nothing's moving. Everything's stagnant until I start doing stuff. Right now, stuff is moving forward as we like as we speak. And so I'm excited because snowboard season, if it snows in Denver, <laughs> yeah, Jesus. It snows. Uh, if we get some yes. snow, yeah. Uh, I am gonna be spending a lot of time in the mountains enjoying life outside of my career, that being snowboarding and like drinking a whiskey in the evening and just relaxing. Um, I'll still be working a lot, but knowing that I'm not doing these things, enjoying this life at the peril of the success of my own business. Uh, so instead of this or that, it's like this and that, and yeah. that is this weird, selfish excitement that I'm really excited to embrace. Awesome. Well, we've had a lovely time chatting with you. You're a, a very inspiring person. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, yeah. Adam. Thank you, guys. This was awesome. Y'all were amazing to chat with as well. I really appreciate the opportunity. You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.